I've got a fantastic story to tell you. It's about the things that went on at the Midland Railway workshops over, well, this crime, this scandal went on for something like 90 years. Now, while the principal job of workers there was to service the rail system, a vast and clandestine network also operated, turning out a range of items from kitchen colanders to rude and nude bottle openers, and it was all done on the quiet. Well, sort of. The items, and there were many of them, were called foreigners. And in a moment, you'll hear from Jennifer Harris, who's edited a new book about how these wonderful items, uh, about these wonderful items, who created them, how they were created, and how in the hell they were made without permission or detection. And while we're talking about it, I want you to talk about the, the what, the, the morally ambiguous things that may have gone on in your workplace. Maybe they were things that you were able to turn out, the useful objects that you created because you had access to the right equipment, the kind of activities that might have cost you your job or at least a stern talking to, but you did them anyway. Are you prepared to be mischievous and morally ambiguous with us? one 720 Jennifer, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Now, it was at an exhibition five years ago that I think publicly we first learned about the extraordinary creative gifts of the men from the workshops. Tell us about them and the foreigners. The men from the workshops, Jeff, were a vast array of men doing a vast array of trades from pattern making, upholstery, carpentry, uh, boiler making, etc. And they made all sorts of things that you've named a few yourself, bottle openers, colanders, upholstered furniture, toys. One man made an ocean-going boat for a girlfriend. Apparently the girlfriend left him not long after and he in disgust got rid of the boat and now he's trying to get it back. But he made virtually everything except the hull in the workshops, right down to the anchor, cleats, sails, etc. and smuggled them all out. Now, was this something that developed over time at the railway workshops or was it sort of part and parcel of working there? Workshops that, that endured for, for 90 years. Has history been littered with this kind of behaviour? Industrial history is littered with this kind of behaviour. I can't speak for others, but there's plenty of examples in Britain, the States, France, Australia. In fact, an early French, or not an early, but a, a French uh, theoretician, Michel de Certeau, described these as les perruques, which is an idiosyncratic use of the word for wig in French, and it refers to that little rip-off in the workplace. Yeah, is that how we describe it? I like the phrase that the, the behaviour is morally ambiguous. Well, some people don't see it as ambiguous. Some people see it as plain wrong, yeah. involving the theft of materials and time. Other people see it as a payback for a system that could often be very harsh, uh, rather cruel to the men, undemocratic, very controlling of their time, yeah. even the time they spent going to the bathroom. Yeah, uh, an environment which they probably didn't make very much money anyway. I mean, how much of it was, was to pursue a creative pursuit or to kill time or something, and how much of it was based on the need to maybe make a quid or two? I really can't say the percentages of the, the time spent being used rather creatively or for economic purposes, but it seems it was used to escape boredom, to do it because you could, to resist authority, because you needed something at home, for example, kitchen implement, or very yeah. commonly louvers for enclosing verandas, so you actually ended up with a new bedroom. Um, because you're creative, there are examples of jewellery. Yeah. In fact, what do you like most? I mean, uh, we, we have to tell a word picture, but the book called Foreigners, Secret Artifacts of Industrialism, is fantastic. And, and we see great creativity. We see hundreds of 21st birthday keys that were made, jaffa lions, uh, tweezers. What struck you as just very, very odd? 
If you look at the back cover, you'll see one of my favourites. I think everybody's. Yes. Brass teeth, inclusive of palate, yes. life-size. We don't know much of the history of this piece, uh, but it's most bizarre. Now, no one can make money from it, and it's hard to see that it, it can really annoy anybody. It's just a joke item. And um, that, that gives us a sense of the humour of the workshop. Yeah, a witty and bawdy world that flourished beneath the strict discipline. How, how disciplined was that environment? It was so disciplined. That, as I said earlier, the men were timed for their toilet breaks. They were only entitled, I think it was, to eight minutes a day. And beyond that, their pay was docked. Um, if they were a few seconds late meeting the whistle in the morning, their pay was docked. It was a pretty tough environment. But, of course, don't forget that... The men, many of the men did graduate to become foremen and sub-foremen. And so they took on a semi-managerial role, which meant that they already knew when they took their managerial role what it was like to be a basic worker. And that seems to suggest that there was quite a lot of uh, toing and froing, winking, blind eyes being yeah. turned to the practice. Yeah, I reckon so, because I know there's a sign that basically says everything will be inspected before you leave the premises. I imagine the workers knew their way around that pretty easily. And then as I speak, uh, I see a rather beautifully made uh, foreigner meat tenderizer um, that <laughs> <laughs> that was made. Jenny Harris is my guest this morning. We're talking about foreigners, the kind of things that were done at a workplace that weren't part of the practice at that workplace. In fact, were part of a, a sort of a little subculture within. And I just wonder, how many of you, come on, me posing a question to you. Some of you will be retired and you won't be in trouble anymore. Uh, maybe you're a telecom linesman in the 1970s. What did you used to get up to in the old days? And were there times where you engaged in Morally ambiguous behaviour. One three hundred triple two seven twenty. Jenny, how did it become so well known? You know, it was just a one day exhibition, wasn't it, in two thousand four? Yes, we do exhibitions with our postgraduate students at Curtin University in museums and heritage. Yeah. And every year we look for an exhibition that enables them to work in a professional environment with a, with a proper public. And this exhibition had been floating around for a while, but usually the date didn't suit us. But in 2004, it did. Um, so we pounced on it. And it was a huge exhibition to coincide with Midlands, Midland Railway Workshop's Open Day. And we had many thousand people through, but it was only for one day. Yeah. Um, who let the secret out? Or are these things not really secret? They're so not really secret. Did anyone get into trouble for this kind of yes, stuff? Yes, some people did. Though there's not many um, recorded examples of people actually being sacked. Sometimes they were sacked and reinstated. Sometimes their pay was docked. It doesn't appear to have been too draconian environment, although the rules were very explicit. No foreigners. No, why do they call them foreigners? Simply because they were I products that should never have been made there? Or? They're, they're called foreigners, and in some workshops in England they're called foreignese. I think it's to do with something not quite belonging. It's a strange use of the word. They're called homers in America. Ah, I, think it's, uh, I think it's hilarious. Hey, um, just hang on. This is Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis. Hi. Hello, Phyllis. What have you got for us? Well, I just, um, um, we lived in Midland, and um, for my uh, wedding present in 1946, I was given a copper kettle made at the workshop. Ah, the copper kettle, that might even, uh, might even be in this, in this book. Now, who gave you this copper kettle, Phyllis? I don't know. It was too far back to remember. But, uh, Do you I, still have it? No, I used it for a long time, but it had a very thin bottom. It didn't have a heavier bottom, so it didn't last that long. Ah, now, um, I have to ask you, Phyllis, yes. how, how do you feel about being the recipient of uh, something that was morally ambiguous 
uh, not quite being the recipient of stolen goods, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, it was just something that they did. And and by the sounds of what Jenny's saying, you can hardly blame them. <laughs> Good on you, Phyllis. Nice to hear from you. This is Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Um, talking about foreigners, I could tell you some stories about probably some of the greatest foreigners that ever happened. Yeah, go on. Um, back in the, oh, the late 60s, early 70s, I was working in Melbourne at the uh, Victorian Titles Office. Yes. Which is like your land titles. And uh, there was quite a lot of people who, and they didn't hide the fact, were actually making a very tidy income on top of their salary from the state government doing conveyancing for different uh, solicitors and private people and such. I think that is a different kind of foreigner behaviour, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, but by gee, it paid, the, paid a lot of bills and a lot of people then actually branched out and uh, after they sort of taught themselves the ins and outs of conveyancing, they actually left the titles office and, and started up a, you know, their own conveyancing practices. Chris, thank you very much. This could very easily drift into skills I learned at my workplace, then exploited and took elsewhere. Frank and Copper Kettles. Hello, Frank. Hello, Jeff. It's Frank here. I can add to the Copper Kettles for the simple reason that I am actually worked in the copper shop and saw quite a fair few, quite a few made by men <coughs> in the copper shop, um, including myself. <laughs> Good on you, Frank. It took you quite a while to get round to that yourself. Why did people do it, Frank? Uh, it was just one of those things, I think, also, that uh, it was, as they said, something that you just had to get a little bit even with or or, 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 or you felt sort of, uh, I don't know. No, that makes it, that, and given what Jenny's been saying, it makes me think that they were a pretty tough mob to work for. Well, they were, actually. I worked there for 25 years, um, and her eight-minute section was definitely one of the most important things. Uh, but it wasn't eight minutes a day. It was eight minutes a time if you went there, if you were caught short. Now, now Frank, who was, who was holding the stopwatch? Um, actually, as you went in to the... There was, bunk, there was toilets scattered all the way around the big establishment. Yes. Uh, and there was an attendant looking after that um, toilet block. Um, and as you walked past his little office in the front of his um, the toilet block, yeah. and I'll add a little bit more to it than what Jen has, uh, as you walked past the, his office, the toilet paper was on a roll in front of him, and you had to tear off X amount of sheets and then give him your, give him your number, oh, which he wrote down in his book at the time, and then you went in and did your... Hey, Frank. Yes. Tell me, in what regard were, were those people held among the workers at the... Those at the... Like, oh, they were, they were they were regarded as quite good people. I mean, the, the, the attendant was... Um, he wasn't frowned upon for doing right. what he was doing. To be quite honest, uh, most of the time that I ever knew, I don't think there was anybody... Uh, he's, he used to have to take the book over to the office every night, but I don't think... I can't remember very many people are all getting punished for, for doing that. And he actually had quite a... Generally, most of the 
toilet attendants had a couple of sidelines running themselves. <laughs> uh, they used to actually, to be honest, they used to sell charity tickets, would you believe? They were two or three, two of them at least that I know of them were licensed charity ticket sellers. Uh, now, Frank, just before I let you go, what, what do you think was the finest thing you ever saw made at the Midland <sighs> Railway Workshop? so many stories. Myself, I've still got a, um, a stainless steel suit ladle, yeah. which when stainless steel first came on them in, into the establishment, and I basically made that just before I was married to put into our, into our kitchen, and we were still using it uh, last week when we were making some soup. Uh, Frank, what a delight to hear from you. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome, Jeff. You're very welcome. Fantastic. Um, uh, Jenny, what's your opinion now as you hear more and more about about the toughness of the working environment? We know it was very tough, but we also know that even even that has its ambiguity in that the toilet attendants were often injured workers. So rather than being sacked, right. they actually had a job. Hence the affection, well, you know, comparative affection with, 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 which they were, with which they were held. The workshops uh, looked after their own kind. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they did. Hello, John. Yes, uh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, very nice to hear your voice and your program, of course. Thank you, John. Uh, I had 10 years plus in the service there. Now... I can see that there was so much theft. But do you know what? No one considered it theft. They considered it as part of the right. You know, they needed stuff for the home. And much of it was for the home. I'll give you a rundown list, a very brief one. House garden equipment, cooking equipment, heating equipment, you name it, anything to do with metal, as long as they could use it for the home, it was carted off. Now, who was behind all this? There was always one or two fellows who were in favour in inverted commas, in favour. If you wanted anything, you had to go from A to B to C, and then finally D is the chap who would make it. John, you were there for 10 years. By the end of the 10-year period, did you understand it better? Well, the only thing I understood was it was the norm. (laughs) John, would you say the bosses were involved in this too? Yes, the bosses had, in fact, a lot of the stuff made for their homes. Re- directly going to the men and asking for things? Correct. So it Correct. really, it was a very open secret. It was an open secret, so to speak, and it was an accepted secret, so to speak. You know, it was just the norm, and I use the word norm very broadly. <laughs> John, John, thank you very much. Um, someone's just sent a text message about a uh, well-known local shipping company where they believe much the same thing goes on. I prefer not to mention it to protect the rights of uh, of those and their, those foreigners. Hello, Tina. Hello. I'm using a pseudonym because my husband still does foreigners. Ah, good work. Okay, now, what kind of foreigners does your husband do? Well, he recently made for our church a beautiful cabinet for our um, new digital overhead projector. Yes. Uh, He's a high school teacher, and um, teachers would work mental work. Um, And, yeah, he he recycles old student projects that get left behind by students who leave slightly disgruntled and don't want to collect their work. He turns into... Bits of useful stuff for around our place and other people as well. Now, now, Tina, would he face censure of any kind if this was known to his employer? Oh, no, at all. No, I don't think so at all because he usually has to make stuff for the rest, for the rest of the school as well. Uh, see, I've, <laughs> that's right. I've always found, Tina, if you're going to commit some kind of a moral act, 
Um, and I'm sure you'll agree, Jenny. Make sure everyone's involved. Make sure everyone's involved. This one sounds greater. This is recycling rubbish. Uh, well, that's, this uh, would go to the bin otherwise. This is excellent. That is true. Hello, Michael. Good morning, yeah. Michael. Yeah, that's me. Is it Michael Huntingdale? Yes, Michael. Yeah, yeah g'day. How are you going? I never worked over here. I was, I was in Sydney, but I worked for the telecom workshops in Sydney. Yeah. And the UFO is unidentified foreign orders. You know, they're foreigners. <laughs> ah, yes. Right? Uh, yes. Yeah, the best one in Australian history was there's a group of techs that were selling entire commander phone systems on the sly. Wow. And they... Thousands and thousands of dollars worth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like straight-out theft. Well, yeah, it's more than morally dubious, yeah. yeah. I don't know that it's even dubious. <laughs> it just sounds immoral to me. Another great thing there was, too, it, it backed onto the, uh, onto the main north-south railway, the Illawarra line, and the tool section was at the back. So if you needed a special jig or a special tool for something, these were the boats that you'd go to get it made up. And there was a fire out there one day, and all the long grass got burnt, and there was about eight tonne of... of what they call shitters, you know, they, they they muck up a job and they just threw it out the window so the boss didn't find out <laughs> into the long grass. <laughs> uh, Michael, thank you. I think we have to stick with Jen's appraisal of that, that there is there is uh, those those who do the morally ambiguous things, things like making, you know, uh, rude bottle openers, and we call them foreigners, and then there is acts of what appears to be straight-out theft. But we're trying not to cast judgment on anyone. Hello, Sandra. Hi, Jess. Tell me about the workshops and what you know about them. Well, it's not so much the workshops. It was on the site before it became the workshops. Originally, the workshops were in Fremantle. And when I was working for Silver Chain, uh, I had this old fellow. He was well into his 90s, and he told me about his life. He, he became a surveyor, but as a child, his father got a job from Queensland with the WA Departments of Land and Surveys. So he... Um, he came across from Queensland on the bullock dray with his dad and they set up home. They were living in um, Cottesloe and he told me he had very strong memories of C.Y. O'Connor coming to their kitchen and eating and at the table. But he told me about um, something quite famous in his family where um, his father was given a job by, um, to go up to Midland and survey this land. So he went up there and thought, well, they must have got it wrong because it's this huge swamp. So he didn't do it. So he was called in to the Premier's office, who happened to be John Forrest, to be reprimanded for why he hadn't done what he was told. And he was told he wasn't to question, he was to just go and do what he was told. So he went off, he surveyed the land and didn't think anything of it until several months later, the land was purchased by the government for the Midland Workshops. And they purchased the land from Mrs John Forrest. Ah, Sandra, very interesting. Franco, hello. Good, how you going, mate? Good, thanks, Franco. Did you work there? Did you make anything? And have, uh, well, you, have yeah, you still I got actually, it? No, I actually still do have it somewhere, but it's something my father made and uh, and my uncles. Uh, and uh, a lot of my family have got them as well, and they're barbecues. Barbecues. Uh, Jenny is nodding her head. Very yes, popular, I heard, Jen. I heard a lot about the barbecues. When we were organising the exhibition, I'd mention it just at parties, etc. on the weekend. People would often say to me, oh, yes, I've been offered barbecue plates all the time. Very, very common. Must be very, most of the ones around here. Yeah, very much so. Still got them and proud of it. Uh, they, they endure a long time. Very much so. Uh, and so, Franco, did you say your dad and your grandfather both worked there? Uh, not my grandfather, but the uncles. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah, what, are the, what, what are their recollections of the experience? I mean, it, uh, you know, obviously it's an era where people 
went to work and often worked in the same place for the the duration of their working life. Did they like working there, or is that too? Uh, uh, oh, pretty much so, Jeff. My my parents and all my uncles are all Italian, and um, it's a quite a quite a heritage actually in Midland and the railways and the Italians of all Midland. So very very very. Oh, sorry, there's a, quite a few of them, and. Uh, yeah, that, my father loved working there, and so did my uncles. They never had any drama. No, well, you've got a fantastic keepsake from that period too, Franco. Very much so. Yeah, thank you very much. Now, what gets me, Jenny, just before we go, um, things like anvils. <laughs> I know if I was thinking this was a cartoon, how do you smuggle an anvil out of the work premises? Some men were very clever. <laughs> you, in, in that case, you've almost certainly used a reinforced Gladstone bag, which you might recall from many <laughs> years ago, which had very, very strong bottoms and very strong handles, and you just carried marched them through the gates. But yep. other ways, of course, were very bulky overcoats. Yeah, there must have been considerable talent there, though. I'm just looking through the list of the kind of skills that were required there. Blacksmithing, boilermaking, carpentry, coach trimming, coppersmithing. Um, if you needed something done, I guess there was always someone who could do it. There was always somebody who could do it. And there was a, you didn't always know who did do the work. It was often a shadowy connection to that person. And in fact, it would just be passed up and down the line as a secret. I'm not sure if you need this. I'm not sure if you need me to ask you this. But the book is lovely. It's called Foreigners, Secret Artifacts of Industrialism. But it, I, it sounds to me like the people of Perth need to see this again. Could it be done again? Could we find, could, could, we, could there be another exhibition of of the foreigners? Oh, we would love to do another exhibition. Uh, the only effort really is gathering them in. Men were extremely generous and open, but there was quite a number who were also very secretive. And maybe this book will make them feel that they can be more forthcoming. When you say so secretive, still a little uncomfortable about oh, what much, they did. Very much. There are people, there's things in that book that are still secretive. There are things in that book I know the maker of. The maker has asked me not to reveal who the person is to this day, even though the workshops have closed. Jenny Harris, the book's beautiful. The conversation has been great. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, Jeff. Jenny Harris is the uh, editor of uh, Foreigners. Hello to you, Bob. Uh, how's it going, Jeff? Very well. Just just on that subject, I've got, I got two stories. One was my other half, uh, her father worked at Midlands Workshops for years. And his, his biggest foreigner, I think, was a Hills Hoist when they first came out. Right. They, they could never work out how he got it home. <laughs> that, that's brilliant. Is it possible he took it home in in pieces and well, or, must... or walked with a very stiff right leg or something? <laughs> I don't know. But the other one was uh, when I was in the navy, uh, a friend of mine got all the metal to uh, make the uh, the hull of his yacht, a uh, forty foot yacht. He got all the steel from uh, from Garden Island in uh, in the and the, the stores for, for the Navy. So. That's yeah. great. Hey, Bob, thank you. Um, I met three brothers who built a 55-foot yacht all from their foreigners. Uh, this is a wonderful subject. Uh, if you know someone who'd like to listen and may have missed the program, I think we might make the foreigners our podcast today. Tell them to go to abc.net.au forward slash Perth, and it will be there a little later. Also, um, I'm going to be on Can We Help Judy's for the next couple of days. Geraldine Mellett will be hosting the program tomorrow and Wednesday. So you won't hear me banging on about Dry July as a result of that. I'll just bang on once. Uh, we've reached the $14,000 mark. You may have seen that in the paper today. We hope to get to 20000 by the end of the month. It's going to be a bit of a battle, but we would love it if you could make a contribution. We're the 720 ABC Jeff Hutchison Group. And if you go to www.dryjuly.com, uh, we will gratefully 
receive your donations. We want to hit 20,000, and as I say, I won't be here in the next couple of days to annoy you about it. This is Ross. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Yes, my father came home one day from the workshop with a present of an aquarium made of um, glass and steel. It was a small aquarium. Yes. And um, so I put fish in it, etc. And uh, not long afterwards, um, he rushed home and uh, uh, sort of reclaimed the present. And uh, there'd been a crackdown at work and he had to get rid of it. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Oh, right. How old do you reckon you were at the time, Russ? I would have been about uh, 12, I suppose. And, and were you sad to see it go? Um, I would, but I didn't really understand why it had to go. No, but, your dad uh, didn't explain it to you? Well, I suppose <laughs> he did, but um, it, it wasn't awfully clear. Uh, no, uh, what do you reckon happened to it, Ross? I honestly don't know. I think it probably um, went uh, out to the rubbish or something because I think what they used to do is to, um, if there was some reason to search an area of the workshop, they yes. would... Uh, they would do so, and if they found anything, uh, they'd probably also search homes as well. Ah, uh, Ross, that's a that's an unfortunate foreigner. Terry's got a good one though. Hi, Terry. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, my first billy cart was made there, but as kids, we used to uh, we told to go about up after school, and we'd um, ride our bikes, and everything was thrown over the fence. <laughs> and, so so there, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be a house in the middle of an area that didn't have WAGR on something there, you know. Uh, so how long did your dad work there for, Terry? About forty years. Yeah. How yeah. Did, did he like the experience, or was it was it just a job? Well, actually, not in the finish, no, because he was badly hurt and he never got any compensation. Uh, it was a bit of a thing. I think I was me and my mate was the only boys from the area that didn't either go to the workshops or the abattoirs. <coughs> We joined the Navy, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you lived in the middle and north surrounding areas, that's where you worked, the workshops or the abattoirs. Yeah. Was it a good billy cart, Terry? Oh, it was a ripper, mate. I'd, I'd say it's still around somewhere. It was all made out of brass, just about. Yeah. Ah, uh, look, these are, these are fantastic stories. I, I would really love it. I would love it if that exhibition could be remounted, because so many of us would go and see it. Apparently, more than thousands did in 2004.